Players gather to cast powerful spells, some of the oldest and most powerful in the history of Magic the Gathering. Rolling Earthquake, Curse of Death's Hold, Walking Ballista, and many others aim to hold honest-to-goodness infect players down. Looking at you, Phil, battling head-to-head -head in brutal combat, they all have one thing in common, to uphold their legacy and the search for eternal glory. The Eternal Glory Podcast is brought to you by the minds behind Bashanral on YouTube, Thurban University, and TheEpicStorm.com. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Eternal Glory Podcast. This is episode 51 of Modern Horizons 2, Endurance Boogaloo. I'm the Endurance Boy, joined by the Urza Saga Stan, and of course, the Nutshot King. How are you all doing tonight? Why were you whispering to start this? <laughs> God, I hope that I'm the Nutshot King. I know it's not me, but can I also share that title? <laughs> I believe you made a Squirrel Storm video. Um, I'll allow it as the moderator I'll, here. I'll be the nutshot prince. <laughs> All right, Brian, let's start with you. How's life? Uh, I mean, the same as it was two weeks ago. Uh, I'm on summer vacation. I, I'm i going to talk about this more when we talk about our magic stuff, but uh, all I do is record videos right now, and I have a vacation coming up. We've talked about the beach. We've been lampooned on Reddit before for how much we talk about the beach. It, complaints have been fired off but i'm going back to the beach at the beginning of july and that's really the only blip on my summer radar otherwise i just plan on cranking out content the entire time i am also a full-time content creator right now it's weird um i don't know about you but i just have this like giant to-do list next to me of like make thumbnail post video monetize video add timestamps all that sort of stuff uh it's not always the most glorious thing that people imagine it to be. <laughs> it's really not. Um, I'll I'll just loop this all in and skip my magic update because this is what I was going to talk about. But it's also my life update because like I wake up in the morning and I grab some sort of caffeinated beverage and then I sit down. I record one video. I eat lunch. I record a second video. I do the editing, the back end stuff, the uploading, rendering, make the thumbnail upload it to YouTube, type all the video description, come up with a title, add all the tags, all that shit, and then it's dinner time. And I reconvene with my girlfriend, we eat dinner, then watch some TV, and then I like go to bed, and then repeat. Like It really is a full-time job right now, and it feels like it. And it's a chill job, I'm playing Magic in the comfort of my own home, but it's work. As someone who is working, you know, a full 40-hour week, and trying to keep up with YouTube, Mad Men, uh, it's <laughs> difficult because, like, I also have to balance that, you know, home life with all the magic content and work. So after the wife falls asleep, sometimes I'll start recording a video at 930 or 10 and I'm editing, pushing it live. And by the time I go to bed, it's like 230 because I've been trying to get that video out the door. Uh, it's time consuming. Yeah, I absolutely could not do this if I had a job to do also right now and really i'm just trying to clear my donation queue which uh i i sent a message to my patreon patrons uh on june 10th and i was like hey there are 20 days left in june i have 25 videos in my donation queue for june 
even releasing seven days a week. I literally can't do it. So uh, I had to let them know some of the videos wouldn't come out until July. And I also had to change my uh, mod my donation video model to try to slow down the queue, clear it out a little bit. Like I raised the price a little bit. I'm not taking Pioneer anymore. I'm not taking Commander anymore. Like it needs to be one of the formats that hits on the channel and it's got to be worth my time to do it. And uh, Eric Virgo, actually, he messaged me and he was like, hey, are you still taking donation decks? And I was like, yeah, but I'm four weeks out. He's like, if you're four weeks out, you're not charging enough. And I was like, okay, yeah, you're probably right. So change the model. Hopefully I'll be caught up with my queue by the end of July. But yeah, it, it's been very busy. And if I had a job or if I was playing Magic on weekends or traveling or like doing anything other than this, it wouldn't be possible right now. I have a summer job for two weeks at the end of the month from the 21st to the 2nd. And I'm still planning on releasing seven days a week in that time because can't stop this momentum right now. Uh, so I am, I'm working on trying to build a buffer right now. But the weird thing about releasing seven days a week content is that if you want to get a day ahead, you have to record two episodes in a day. Uh, it's, uh, it's an interesting challenge. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I, I mentioned this in the past, but I was carrying a two week buffer for a long time, like months. I just had uh, 10 videos ahead of me and I used all of them at, for these two weddings that I had in May. And just I was on the road or planning for a wedding or whatever for two whole weeks, basically. And just my buffer was gone. Now it's back up to 11 videos at the time of recording, which means that I have recorded two a day at least uh, 11 times. And it's a lot of work and it's a lot of fun. And like, you're right. You can't slow down the momentum at this point, which is w what the topic of this video is. So this does shoehorn into uh, the impact of modern horizons too. And we'll get into all that, but oh, Brian, what's up? What have you been doing? <laughs> uh, my non-magic life, it's just been weird. Uh, so after I got back from my honeymoon, I was quarantining, got tested, you know, came out negative and I've been seeing people in person again. It's just like kind of strange. No mask seems a little bit weird, but I'm getting more used to it the more I've done it. Um, and then this ties into my magic stuff, but I've been playing paper magic and seeing people without masks. is just like definitely weird. Uh, I've gone to two locals so far. I'm just going to dive right into my magic stuff, by the way. Uh, so I went to one local where I played legacy and then another where I was supposed to play Legacy. Both these photos are on my Twitter, but I accidentally brought my modern deck instead. So I played Twiddle Storm and Legacy uh, last night. Everyone was fine with me playing Underworld Breach. I went three and one, so Twiddle Storm has some power. Uh, but it's been weird. And I've cast Peer into the Abyss for the first time in paper. It's weird because you have to count all of your cards and then go, well, like Burning Wish got this one. So you subtract that, that sort of thing. Uh, because you have to draw half your deck. It's just not math on, that I'm used to doing. Oh, you're doing it the uh, the reverse way. You're doing a, a judge-style card count. You're not just picking up your library and counting to like 46 or whatever. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I want you to know, by the way, uh, I missed that Twitter post, and I'm glad I did, because that is literally my nightmare, showing up to a Magic tournament either without my deck or with the wrong deck. Like, the only recurring dream I've had in my life is showing up to a magic tournament, sitting down for round one and realizing I either don't have my deck or I open the deck box and the wrong things in it. Literal nightmare. <laughs> and you've lived it. Oh, 
how did that feel like i you seem to be in good spirits about it and you're you're surviving so maybe that'll assuage my fears about the experience i laughed it off everyone around me laughed and they said well i guess you're going home after round two and i won my first round against Eldrazi, and i was like i'm gonna cash this and then i ended up with 25 bucks so it wasn't that bad um other than that just like the squirrel storm video just took off my first ever video that broke 10k it feels good uh it's nice seeing the hard work you put in you know end up showing like uh, you two just like you have much larger followings than i do um sort of the nature of the beast one of us has to be the worst and uh, it just feels nice to see some success i mean you call yourself the worst but like let's not compare websites okay because <laughs> one of the websites here looks a lot better than the other i'm just saying yeah brian's is really nice yeah my website is phenomenal you should check it out it's called facebook.com i invented that by the way uh i i did not invent facebook for the for those of you, I, I've been chided before for my dry sense of humor on the podcast, but I did not really invent Facebook. Please don't ask me for any money. So uh, I talked about going to the locals. I also went to a modern 2K. I felt uncomfortable with 60 other people in the room and ended up like putting my mask on. I was like, ah, 60 people is just too many. But it's weird because like 10 people I was fine with. I, I've been to the grocery store. I put my mask on. I'm like, there's too many people here. Like in my mind, there's like a certain threshold, but I don't know what it is yet. Yeah, it's I I touched on this two weeks ago on our last episode, oh, but like now I'm two weeks farther into processing it. Like the idea that we spent you know 15 months telling ourselves, or at least I was telling myself, if you don't wear a mask in public, you're garbage. Like you're a monster and you don't care about the people around you. And I have to teach that that's not true anymore. And like I spent the first 15 months like. The CDC guideline is that masks are good. Listen to the CDC, you idiot. You don't know more than the CDC. And now the CDC is saying it's fine to go unmasked if you're vac vaccinated. And like, I'm like, but I'm comfortable with the mask. But I have to say to myself, you idiot, you don't know more than the CDC. Listen to the recommendations. So like, uh, I just left. I don't leave my house much because like I said, all I do is wake up and record videos then go back to bed. But I went to the grocery store the other day and... Uh, and target and the post office and it was just like i had my mask in my hand and then i would like poke my head in the door to the various establishment look around and see what the mask ratio was inside and like just take social cues from that like uh if like half the people were unmasked i was like okay i'm going in too like unmasked but i have it in my pocket in case anyone complains and the post office still had the sign up that said you have to wear a mask in the lobby. And uh, I don't know if that sign is just, you know, four weeks old at this point or if that's still their policy. But I put a mask on for that. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was still there in two years. Just throwing that out there. Yeah, yeah. That is how post offices work. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And to my absolute delight, I learned when I was out on the town the other day that the Chinese buffet near my house is back. Like full buffet service is back open, which I thought would be still months away. But uh, I went in there because I, I was just like starving because I woke up, recorded a video, didn't eat, went shopping, still didn't eat. And it was like three in the afternoon and I hadn't eaten yet. And I was like, I'm out. I should find food. And I just on a whim drove by the Chinese buffet and it was like buffet open. I was like, fuck to the yeah, I'm going in there. And they do require masks when you're 
perusing the the buffet area so i was happy to mask up for that experience that's just to stop your heavy breathing that's not a covid thing yeah yeah well honestly like this uh, i'm gonna lose a lot of respect from a lot of listeners right now but i'm gonna gain a lot of respect from other listeners my strat with the chinese buffet a lot of the time when i get the takeout because it's by weight it like you just like get a a container and you go to the buffet then they weigh it on the way out and it's like six bucks a pound or whatever my strat is to just casually munch on dumplings while i'm choosing my food so i'm usually like at seven to ten dumplings in before they weigh it so that's just like free money and wearing the mask really really hampered that plan I got one in there, but then I was like chewing and my mask was like moving around because I was chewing and I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't go another one. I have a coworker that when they're having a bad day, goes into Wegmans, you know, has somebody make their sub and then they just walk out. He's like, sometimes I deserve nice stuff. I'm like, that's just stealing. And he's like, they would never notice the lost sub. Do you know how many subs they throw away a day? And in my mind, I'm like, that's probably true, but it's still just stealing. Yeah, I mean... There, there's definitely stealing involved there. Uh, just walking out with a with a sub. I mean, I, I guess like that's not that far off from just munching on dumplings before they weigh my food and charge me for it. Uh, but like, all right, you ready for some mental gymnastics here? Um, so the six dollars a pound or whatever that I'm gonna pay for my box costs more than if I just bought the buffet experience and sat down. At which point I could eat as much as I want. So someone's getting someone here, and I don't know who it is. All right. Um, <laughs> My co-hosts are horrified right now. We'll, we'll see whether well, or not also, you get Twitter canceled for uh, your Chinese buffet habits. Also, since we're already down this road, uh, I have a ham in my fridge that I'm going to cook tomorrow night. Just like a, a ham that I'm planning on baking. And I bought pineapple to bake the ham with because it tastes good on ham. But I didn't have any toothpicks to stick the pineapple to the ham. And when I was at the grocery store, I couldn't find any toothpicks. So while I was at the Chinese buffet, they had one of those little toothpick rollers. I think I took like 15 toothpicks from that too. <laughs> it's called living off the land. Deal with it. All right. Well, while Phil catches his breath, I'll ask the question. Phil, we haven't covered your magic updates yet. Tell us about it. All right. Um, I like Just to be blunt, I had the best week of magic content I've ever had. Um, I posted a modern shardless bug video. It broke 10,000 views. Then I posted a legacy affinity video. By the time you hear this, it will have broken 20,000 views. Uh, I broke 5,000 subs on YouTube. It was just an amazing week of content for me. Um, and, and honestly, it was for all of us. The release of this set just like had everyone in a frenzy. People wanted to watch content. Yeah, so my usual hourly rate, like before the last week, I would have been happy to hit like 200 in the first hour. Like that's a reasonable video for me today. I had a video hit 300 in the first hour and it was six of 10. Like everything's just through the roof right now. Yeah. Everything is hot. And that is the subject of the, the cast today. Like we're talking about the reception of modern horizons too, but Brian, I believe you have a, uh, a contest you want to roll out before we get into the, the yes. subject. So we've alluded to this in previous episodes. We've This is episode 51. We're going to have a Google form. They're going to be numbered. You need to guess who the first 50 episodes are 
put, so there will be a slot for each episode. You have to put them by the correct episode. Uh, hold on, hold on. Some... What, 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 step, step back. What are you talking about? What, what are, what are they filling in? A Google form. Uh, they're putting in the name of the intro, uh, the special guest we had on there. So hypothetically, let's say we had Louis Scott Vargas reading our script to start the episode. You would guess, hey, I think that's Louise. You type Louise's name into episode 52. Um, that's the sort of thing you do, but they're one through 50. Does that make yep. sense? Yes. Yep. If you haven't noticed, uh, our intro is a different person every week, and it's usually, or it's always some sort of you know, person of interest to the legacy or magic community. So uh, if you want to go listen to the first 50 intros, over on the eternal glory podcast.com and make guesses. What do they get, Brian? Well, you would get to select a charity and we will donate $200 to that charity and to throw something in it for you. I'll give you some sweet, sweet, the Epic storm swag right now. I'm planning on a t-shirt, assuming that I have your size. Uh, maybe I'll throw something else in there if you get more than 25. Um, but that's what I'm doing. Yeah. We've, we've talked Maybe, maybe it's not fair to say a lot, but, you know, we keep coming up with all sorts of social issues in our intros and stuff. And, you know, we care about what's going on in the world. So this is our little way of like playing a game and celebrating like, hey, we've done 50 episodes while also trying to give a little back to the community beyond just, you know, the, the magic focused portion. Yep. This is also for the people who stick around for the intro and not for the haters who want us to include timestamps so they can not listen to us until we're talking about magic. So thank you personally, you right now, who's hearing us talk right now. And I hope you get a sweet t-shirt out of the deal. At the bottom of the form underneath the episodes, we will have a slot for your charity. Please fill in your ideal charity there. All right. All right. I think we're ready to like hop into the, the real episode topic itself, right? I'm going to crack my knuckles to get ready for this. All right. Yeah, this is going to be good. Let's do it. <clears throat> Phil actually had an audible crack there. That was a good one. Bad. Yeah, that was nasty. All right. All right so uh, we're talking about the reception of Modern Horizons 2. I'm, Who wants to kick this I'll, off? I'll say it. I think this is one of the most successful magic sets of all time, if not the most successful magic set. This is the most I've spent on any single set in a very long time. I bought over a hundred Japanese foils from Haruya. Like they they got me. Wizards got my money. Yeah, uh, me too. Um, the like normally, I mean, we're all legacy players in in the cast and listening. Like that's why you're here. Normally, we know a set drops and there's like you know two and a half cards you probably need to acquire, maybe one or zero if you're a deck specialist. Like, it's it's pretty slow going, but uh, I was actually looking at where I could just buy complete sets of Modern Horizons too. Just what would it cost me to get four X this set? Because I think I'm gonna need all of it. One thing that I've really enjoyed since getting more into content creation, by the way, is because of Popper. I get excited when commons are spoiled. Like, I'm just like, all right, can I use this in any of my decks? And it's just like another aspect that I have instead of always just looking at generic scrum cards. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the Having been part of the, the popper community for uh, close to a decade now, like that is a thrill for us. And it's fun, like on my Twitter feed, because I follow like the vintage people, the legacy people, modern people, magic people in general, just and the popper people and you just see like uh 
like I this week I saw Andrew Cuneo tweeting that he didn't even know Modern Horizons had come out because he only plays Arena and uh, it just what's not even on his radar. And it's like, all right, that's one opinion. And then I see like Alex Allman, like, oh God, Chatterstorm's going to get banned so fast. And like, then he's like talking about like what the next order consequences of what the metagame will look like after Chatterstorm gets banned. And like, that's what he's in. And then like uh, the legacy players are talking about Endurance and Ragavan. And it, it's just like cool to see that there's a piece of this pie for everyone out there. I'm so happy that like I'm a variety content creator right now because I've gotten to play with everything. Like, uh, when did this set release on Magic Online? Was it the ninth? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I think I've recorded somewhere on the order of, like, 14 leagues since the set came out. And, like, it, it has just been an absolute blast jamming these new cards, like, trying to be one of the first people to try out some new strategy. Like, it has been so fun. Yeah, it, it really has been a complete delight. And, like you said, being the variety creator as well, like... Uh, I get I got sent like you know Popper Storm and Modern Aether Vial Urza Saga Affinity and uh, Legacy White Stacks and Vintage Two Card Monty with Dothy Voidwalker and it's just like I'm all over the place and I'm loving it. So I guess the theme here is like every Eternal format was just given a ton of life. Uh, like I don't think any metagame is exactly the same as it was pre Modern Horizons too. Uh, the night before the set dropped on Magic Online, I was like, what should I be recording tonight? And I was like, I guess I'll record Pioneer because it's like one of the few formats that's not being hit drastically by Modern Horizons 2. And a little bit bummed about this. I thought Strike It Rich was going to be in Historic. Like, it just didn't connect in my mind. So I was just like sitting there so excited to play Strike It Rich and Dragonstorm. And then it was just incredibly let down when somebody told me like, yeah, obviously that wasn't going to be on Arena. Uh, like in my mind that's an arena power level card but i'm just not allowed to play it i don't know yeah the i i will say the historic arena card pool is causing confusion for more than just you uh, i had somebody uh, respond to my modern uh Asmaran cat deck and like wouldn't phyrexian tower be good here and it's like well modern is the only format you can't play phyrexian tower like it's in legacy and vintage and it's in historic and you know sorry <laughs> God, missed the mark. Like, just side tangent here. I cannot imagine running a paper historic event and just being like, "Judge, is this is this card legal?" <laughs> and the judge being like, "Hold on, I have to check. I I just have no idea. There's no yeah, way I to know." You could, you could cast any card against me, short of like Black Lotus and Ancestral Recall in a historic tournament, and I would believe you. Be so like, "Oh, okay, that's cool." I don't know about you guys, but like Pioneer and Historic, I am just like not interested in them at the moment because I'm so excited to play with Modern Horizons cards. Like, yep. I just can't get enough of Galvanic Relay and AV. Like, I love them. Like, I, I, I have enjoyed just playing with everything, even the cards that like barely make discussion for most like spoiler articles and podcasts and stuff. They're so good. Just like Sutton Edict. Like, that's not getting a lot of chat, but that's just like. That's an uncounterable answer to a threat from Delver, and it's great in the decks that need that. Spoiler yeah. alert, Phil sent me a deck list yesterday, had a sudden edict in the board, and I was like, Phil, cut that trash. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Bryant, just the sidebar. That deck did the thing a few times, and it was impressive. I believe it. I can't, I can't wait for whatever this thing is to show up. It is the Tenderizer. Ooh. It was a uh, a Grizzlebrand Storm deck. 
I, nice. I needed to call in the big guns to help to, to tune it. Smart. So speaking of uh, tenderizing, um, Dress Down is a card that I'm in love with. Like I, I saw it on the spoiler as like, yeah, this is kind of cool. It, it could facilitate like a, a little uptick in Stifle Knot, like Dreadnought could come back. Like, okay. But I played a, a league of Simic Dreadnought, just uh, blue and green. No removal spells. Uh, basically nothing. Like counter it or bounce it or it's there to stay. And I was really worried about it on paper. But Dress Down danced around that game or that whole league in like fascinating ways that I didn't think about until they were in front of me and I even like missed a couple cool things I could have done. And like, I'm just in love with that card. Uh, It's just like little cantripping, like Oko for just a minute. (laughs) And uh, I I'm really into it. I I can't wait to play with it more. I have found so many ways to hurt people with endurance that I didn't even think of during spoiler season. (laughs) Like that card. I was playing against Maverick and my opponent, I think they had two Knight of the Reliquaries, and they attacked in with both of them. And I just, like, flashed in Endurance, nuked their graveyard. They were both 2-2s. Two I traded some crap body for one of them, blocked the other with Endurance, and I went from facing down 20 damage in an attack to stabilizing the game. Yeah, I had an opponent resolve uh, Clothis against my Bant Uro deck, and, like, you know, four weeks ago, I'm like, oh, well, that's GG. But then I just drew an endurance and I bombed my own graveyard in response to them eating the thing. And then they could only eat their own graveyard, but they were, it was Rug Delver that had uh, Dragon's Rage Channeler and Murktide Regent. So like it hurts them to eat their own graveyard. Plus endurance was then clocking them uh, around the Clothis. And like, it was just, just so sick. Like I'm in love with endurance. So I think that's a good way to parlay into the next thing I want to talk about which is our scoreboard from our preview episode. Uh, last episode, we, rather than talk about every card in the set that might be playable, which is kind of what we're going to do tonight, uh, or what has proved to be playable, like what's showing up and what isn't, we dug in deep on Dragon's Rage, Channeler, Ragavan, Endurance, and Urza Saga. And those were cards that we thought deserved deep dives of their own. So Dragon's Rage, Channeler, uh, we were pretty high on, uh, we, most of our conversation was around how to get yourself delirium quickly. We were talking about Mistress Bobble and Tarfire and just really leaning into making that a 3-3 as often as possible. And I have not seen people build in that way, but I have seen this card a lot in the last two weeks. I think we underrated Surveil. Like... You can do an absolute insane amount of work with Surveil if you can just, like, chain together a couple of cantrips, you set it up in the right way so the, like, the stuff you want to get milled is in the right, like, a middle spot from a ponder or or something. Like, you can do a surprising amount to set that up. Like, it, it very much is an engine in and of itself in that way. Yeah, I was impressed by Surveil just, like, adding a plus one card to any brainstorm or ponder like anytime you're looking for something specific if it's not the top card it's gone and that also helps obviously feed delirium which i mean isn't a surprise like obviously the surveil on the card with delirium that's the built-in combo we get it uh what i wasn't ready for was just 
the mono surveil plan just like every spell always been the card and i'm playing four murktide regions like that that was a a line that wasn't on my radar and it has been pretty powerful i mean murktide region obviously and we've had tombstalker forever but tombstalker is not blue and murktide region can get bigger it can also be smaller sometimes but it's generally bigger than tombstalker and for one less mana and your one drop fueling your regent for starting on turn one when you want to be cantripping anyway is that's some good synergy dragon rage channeler is also seeing a little bit of play in ruby storm uh, at least in this room discord a lot of those people are really high on playing it this is literally just like a card sculpting effect i'm not thrilled with playing a card that's just gonna eat a removal spell in my combo deck but people are finding creative ways to play this card so on the flip side uh that card if you're not building with like the mishra's bauble tarfire like really get this thing delirious it it's kind of hard to get delirium like it'll happen over the course of a normal magic game but the the sensibilities like the muscle memory of playing against a delver one drop are totally different when it's dragon rage channeler versus when it's actual delver like there's been a bunch of games where like my delver opponent's just like turn one dragon rage channeler and I spend a couple turns spinning my wheels, like trying to get out from under days, find the removal spell, like plow on turn three when I can't get dazed. And like, normally I'm at 12 by the time that sequence works, but now I'm at 17 and it's like, oh, that was a one, one the whole time. Like, that's a very different thing. Like, it looks impressive when the, you're surveilling and you're seeing all these extra cards. But like, when I go for that swords to plowshares, playing around days and spell pierce to remove your threat, and I've only taken three from it rather than nine. Like, that's a totally different game that we're talking about. Yeah, like, I understand what you're saying, but I also think it's week two. People will figure out the optimal builds of these decks eventually. I don't think that all of these Blue Red Delver decks are built right at the moment, personally, but I could always be wrong. Um, we'll see how they look in two months if they're still intact. They can't all be built right, because they're all built differently. Like, there is the the Turbo Surveil. And then there's the turbo one drops that they just have for Channeler, for Ragavan, for Delver, and you know, for, forget about Murktide Regent. We don't want the game to last that long. And there's just different kind of things. Like even within this one shell that seems like an obvious plug and play situation, you got so many plugs that you, and not enough spots to play with all of them. Uh, and it is actually interesting. I think the ratio of the creatures is like way more interesting than I've been seeing people talking about. Um, so like considering Dragon Rage Channeler and Murktide Regent. Dragon Rage Channeler fills Murktide, fuels Murktide Regent, but the Regent takes cards out of the graveyard, which means that your Dragon Rage Channelers get smaller again in many cases. Um, yep. And I had an opponent just straight up lose a game because they didn't realize that. Like, they could have attacked me for six, and they didn't. They played a, a regent, and then their creatures got small, and they missed out on six points of damage and lost the game. Yeah, that's definitely tension. Um, like, like the you do all this work to make it a three three, then you cash in all that work to make a, a different five five, and now you have a one one again. And that also just exposes a deck that previously didn't care about rest in peace just deeply into the rest in peace blowout, like. Uh, Rest in Peace has always been good against Rug Delver, where they have Tarmogoyf and uh, Clothis and possibly Uro. At one point, they had Ren and Six. Like, throughout any era of Rug Delver, uh, Hooting Mandrels, um, 
Ethereal Forager, Rest in Peace is always a banger against Rug, but Blue Red mostly ignored that in the past with like Monastery, Swiftbeard, Delver, I'm just attacking you. And maybe they had Ethereal Foragers for that couple months there, but now it's just like a very real plan. It's a reason to be white. It's a reason to play Rest in Peace, and it's really good. So overall, um, I think we were correct in evaluating that Dragon Rage Channeler was a better a better card in a vacuum than Ragavan, but I think we overestimated how much better than Ragavan it was. Does that sound about right to you all? I'd probably yeah. agree with that. Yeah, we in our last episode, uh, we hyped Dragon's Rage Channeler for a long time. Like probably you know, thirty minutes or so we spent on that card, and then Ragavan probably got like ten minutes of like, oh yeah, this is cool. It's not death or it's not a Dreadhorde Arcanist, but I mean I can see some similarities, but it dies to his diff freeze and you know, all these things. And we just sort of dismissed it. Like people will play it, but it won't be great. I think that like Phil just said, Rag is better than we gave it credit for, and Channeler is worse than we gave it credit for, and they both land in this perfectly playable spectrum. I mean, just good good spectrum, even. Yeah. From what I've heard from Delver experts, is that Ragavan is incredible in the mirror and against combo, but it's really bad in your bad matchups. Like, you just don't want to draw the card, but there's some matchups where you always want to play it on turn one, so it's has higher lows, you know what I mean? Higher highs, lower lows, that's what I'm trying to say here. That's my experience yeah. as well. Yeah, I, I have found that um, the, for starters, we could see on paper, and we ran down in the last episode, why it's not Dreadhorde Arcanist, and like obviously it's not that, but having played against it, the difference between like flipping a random card off your opponent's deck and casting Ponder is just so astronomically different like uh if rag flips a land it didn't gain card advantage if rag flips a like abrupt decay and you don't have two treasures it needs to connect twice before you can cast the first like double off color spell and it also encourages weird play patterns like i've taken a lot of hits from ragavans and it's just not that bad. Uh, I mean, I imagine in a Delver mirror where like all your spells are the same as their spells and you can cast whatever you flip and like every card is worth uh, its weight in gold. It's probably really good. But against like the more mid range playing to beat Delver, they actually have removal spells in their deck kind of things. Like I get hit with Rag. They take my, you know, Uro, which they don't even want to cast because then it goes to my graveyard. Uh, at one point, I had an opponent cast my meddling mage that they took off rag just because they could it wasn't good it wasn't good on the board it didn't do anything they didn't even have a relevant spell to name with it they just like picked one at random in my deck's colors and then they lost anyway when probably spending that turn pondering to like pull ahead on their actual plan would have done better for them uh one one time i got hit with rag when i was playing uh steel stompy and they took my thought cast and with the treasure and four lands they could thought cast for exactly enough mana or I guess it was Treasure in Three Lands. Yeah, Treasure in Three Lands could exactly cast Thought Cast. But how often does Delver tap out uh, with of three lands, even to draw two cards, which is a good thing for Delver to do. But like that was a whole turn I didn't have to worry about anything. Like it just encourages these weird play patterns that, I mean, a lot of the times it's like just a two one. When I was playing with Ragavan, like. 
I thought I had a plan and then Ragavan would attack and it was like, well, I guess I give up on my plan so I can do this thing. And yeah. it was very strange because you don't want to leave the theoretical value on the table in many cases. Um, but it just felt like I was at the whims of fate in a weird sort of way. Yeah, Ragavan feels like mid-range like bug Uro decks want it. Like, like that's an effect that a game a deck that's trying to play 10 turns of a game and every card matters and like it doesn't matter what the card is as long as it's a card and my life total is above zero it's good for me but delver is a deck that is trying to execute a very specific low resource game plan with specific cards and doing things like stealing a meddling mage or stealing a thought cast it just isn't part of delver's plan or they would be playing those cards themselves so like there there is some really weird push and pull there I think that there's uh, an interesting element to Ragavan where in my paper magic that I've been playing this week, most people are like, yeah, I'd prefer if we didn't touch each other's cards, which I love. But Ragavan encourages touching the other person's stuff coming out of COVID. Who, who, who designed that? Come on. Probably someone who assumed that this card would outlast COVID. I mean, yeah, that is definitely awkward and... I haven't played Paper Magic yet. I don't know what the whole, like, uh, presenting your deck for shuffling and all of that is going to be like. And uh, I've always been, like, kind of perturbed by people who, like, plus Jace and just reach over and grab the top card off my deck. Like, I would prefer to, like, reveal it to you and you tell me what to do with it. But, yeah, I, I can see Rag encouraging uh, or discouraging social distancing. Not a fan. But I think Phil wanted to talk about how great Endurance is. Okay. Oh, so do I. So last episode, I wrote a love letter to this card. And honestly, I don't think I did it justice. It's even better than I thought it was. Like, it just goes in everything. And it's good in damn near every matchup. I played a league with two of them main, two of them side. And I boarded in the other two in all five rounds. And they just did work. Creatures, it does work. Combo, it does work. Versus control, it is a flash threat that's big and like will pick off smaller threats like Snapcaster that they're trying to poke you with. Uh, it, 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 it's everything I want in a card. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I recorded with Bant Flash, which is a deck that uh, one of my coaching clients and I had worked on a few months ago, and uh, he disappeared for a while, and apparently he had been working on the deck, iterating it the whole time. I sort of forgot about it, but he came back, and we had a session, and I recorded a league with the deck. And the the plan for that deck was already flash threats, like pressure their end step with Coatles and Hull Breachers and Shark Typhoons, and then untap and jam Jace. Like, that was the plan. And we just got another flash threat now. And it the Bant flash deck is built to beat creatures and is kind of soft to combo and now endurance just shores up the combo matchup or certain combo matchups while also still being insane against creatures like still just farming delver and the league that i played i put one endurance in the main deck over the the last remaining days undoing we still had one left in there for the for the the chance to spike it but I cut the days undoing for endurance and after playing the league i cut the two jaces for two more endurances like yep. Jace the Mind Sculptor is not a legacy card anymore. This is Endurance's world. Let's play in it. So I don't know how closely the two of you follow like Twitter discussions, 
but there was an Ells pilot and a Maverick pilot that both tweeted separately, like not even the same day, that they were disappointed with Endurance. Um, the overall the- the theme between both of their like theses was that they wanted hammers, not just like things to buy time. Um, and I guess that's something we didn't really discuss in the episode because we were only talking about Endurance's hard hate where it's not really true. Like reanimator can in theory win through endurance. Uh, you can endurance them. They could entomb in response and then exhume, uh, exhume it back into play like that sort of thing. It's not a hard lock or even like a heavy hate piece. It's just like a nice effect, I guess. And it's just like something we didn't really cover. Yeah. I think that, I mean, yeah, sure. If you're looking for rest in peace, uh, endurance is not it. Uh, but I think the love letter that Phil wrote and I co-signed and we're still singing now is that the versatility of the card uh, is like, it's not rest in peace. It's return to nature. Like if you want to make a comparison about cards that exist, like it's a thing that does multiple things, which uh, I would agree with the elves and Maverick player that like most cards that land in the legacy card pool, this is a blue deck tool. Uh, I think blue decks are going to use endurance better than green decks will. And I I don't know what we can do about that. That's just how things tend to land in legacy, but especially, I mean, it would be a deck building cost if Uro didn't also exist and be what blue decks want to be doing. Like blue decks are already pulled heavily into green, which is not where they were ever before Uro was printed before Uro and Oko. Like, bant was not really a thing it was grixis it was esper it was rug but anyway uh, since we're in this green world anyway endurance just jumps right into these blue shells as just like we had this conversation about force of negation uh many times and like as a blue player all i want to do is get to the point where i have three or four mana in play and then do stuff and if endurance gets me over turn zero or turn one to the point where it's turn three and now i can endurance with a body like that that's just everything that a fair blue wizard like myself wants to be doing i think one of the strengths of endurance is a similar strength to what um that bant also picked up in prismatic ending and and that's just that sheer flexibility like prismatic ending can be you know your your one mana removal spell versus a one drop it can answer a sylvan library it can answer a a planeswalker is it instant speed no is it sometimes a little man efficient yeah but does it just like have this like huge range of versatility yeah and it's very 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 rarely dead yeah prismatic ending i'll i'll describe what the card does because technically the set hasn't released yet in real life yet even though we've been playing it for two weeks uh this is still a spoiler episode kind of so prismatic ending is a one white and x sorcery and it's exile target non-land permanent with mana value less than or less than or equal to the number of colors spent to cast prismatic ending so for one white you can exile a one drop for white blue you can exile a two drop a one drop or a zero drop and the or less is huge because like I was able to clip a chalice of the void by spending two mana the other day. Um, and, and like it actually does just like answer most things on curve because like the first white, it's not like it's not like a card. Uh, I'm trying to think of 
like like death ray i guess is one of them is that what that card's called no heat ray like red x deal x damage to target creature or there's some black spells that do a similar thing like minus x like the first mana counts like it's not like i can answer a two two for three mana it's i answer a two drop for two mana and like that wasn't necessarily clear to me in my head just blowing past it on a spoiler at like the other day i was playing a a a thalia deck and my opponent paid white and announced x is zero and then the thalia they paid green it's the old engineered explosives trick and they exiled my thalia for two mana with their one mana spell and i was just like wow that's nice but yeah that that versatility that's what fair players want like we don't want to have to choose between swords of plowshares and disenchant or like like we we want wilts that cycle we want return to natures that do three different things and we want endurance that's sometimes a body and sometimes a a force of will and that's just where the sweet spot is on endurance okay and so the last one that we had on last episode was urza saga and uh we were hot on that card I don't and, think we were hot enough. Oh, oh God, we weren't. Uh, that card is uh, probably format-defining for three different formats right now. Is, is that how many sets it's legal in, formats? Because, uh, damn, that card is insane after playing with it. it so, format-defining, uh, I think that we hit it pretty well in Legacy, but we didn't talk about it in Modern, where it is heinously broken and will be banned soon like don't invest in urza saga until they ban it in modern you'll get them cheaper i promise but like is it your experience that it's format defining in legacy and vintage i haven't played with or against it in vintage yet but in legacy it feels like a cool thing you can do Uh, i have not felt like games were defined by it now brian let me ask you have you tried to find any meltdowns on magic online recently because let me tell I'm you, not. I tried to rent them, and I could not. I had to go and buy my own meltdowns, because the Delver players just need them in their sideboard right now. Um, I think Affinity is going to become a deck sort of like Dredge in Legacy, where on weekends where the artifact hate is low, that deck will be an amazing choice for the weekend. Uh I can't overstate how good it is to just play an Urza Saga on turn one and thus then just on turn two have two mana from something like an Ancient Tomb or a Mox Opal or something and just poop a construct on turn two and turn three. That just wins games. Well, I wasn't happy yeah. about the uh, upward tick of Nullrod discussion. Uh, not a fan of that. Any like If you're a deck that makes Nullrod playable, just leave. I don't want you. Uh, yeah, outside of Bryant's completely unbiased opinion on Nullrod, uh like i have played with and against the like affinity uh like blue white bro bots like whatever you want to call it deck i've i brewed like a new like mono blue steel stompy kind of thing and they're all powerful and i think urza saga is really neat but i think it does exist in the dredge space i think that was a good comparison because like that's just a thing you can do it's kind of linear and if someone packs Hercules Recall this weekend, uh, you're gone. Much like the the Tormod scripts or the the leylines for Dredge, it, but I have not seen Urza Saga in any legacy ban talks or like even really like 
it didn't really like crack or change anything. It just added some reasonable decks to the metagame. And I think it's at an appropriate legacy power level. Have you guys had a different experience than that? So there's two different challenges every weekend. There's the Saturday challenge that's a little bit lighter. Uh, this weekend, it actually struggled the, the fire. Two people signed up with alts and then immediately dropped. And then, you know, there's the Sunday challenge that tends to be anywhere between 80 and 120 people. Well, two weekends ago, the Saturday challenge, I believe, took second and like maybe ninth. I, I, I'm not positive on those numbers, but I know it was like either first or second. And then Sunday was the showcase. Well, it came in second on Saturday and then was like one of the worst performing decks on Sunday because everyone had seen the results from Saturday. Um, right. So that's how quickly the metagame is moving right now and how easily it can be hated out if people are prepared for it. Yeah, I've played it in Vintage as well. I, I straight up played an Affinity deck in Vintage. No, no workshops. All right. Like Artifact deck in Vintage, no workshops. Uh, and, and it was surprisingly impressive. Um, Nettle Cyst just is huge. Um, that's a card we haven't talked about, but it's like cranial plating for one more mana, and it comes with a germ friend attached. Uh, and it gets a butt. Yeah, I was really and impressed And it by grows that. off enchantments, so like it, your Urza Saga grows it too, uh, which is definitely relevant. Oh, I didn't realize that. That's sweet. Oh, it, it's sick. Yeah, I mean, the I think that Saga... Uh, Things that legacy decks already play are effective against it. Things like Wasteland and the aforementioned Return to Nature's and Wilts. Like this land is also an enchantment. So your disenchants hit there. And and the cost of your land dies after two turns in the Wasteland format isn't free. And, and like, I, I'm just totally on board with the this is an appropriate legacy power level card. Uh, path right now like and like cards like meltdown exist Hercules recall uh, I, i've actually got to i i played a five color niv mizzet domain yorion zoo deck and it's not as insane as it sounds i actually four one to that league and the the loss was a heartbreaker like that would have been a great one to get in the public record with a trophy but i got to have fracture and gust in my bring delight package and that was just a delight like it's it's resurrecting all these cards that people haven't played before. And as far as like Delver can answer it, but will they like, I think adding more tension, like stretching the Delver sideboard harder is a good thing for legacy. Agreed. Like, if you have to decide. Yeah. Like if you have to decide between meltdown or blazing volley with that last sideboard slot, someone's going to ranch you because you picked the wrong one. And I, uh, or you're going to win the tournament because because you picked the right one, and I like that a lot. All right, um, I I feel like as a whole, our our last episode was on point. I I feel like we more or less identified the the biggest bangers as we so claimed uh, pretty well. Yeah, scoreboard that one, count it. Uh, so I think that bryant wants to talk about the band discussion i think we all do like whoa, whoa, within whoa, whoa, whoa. 24 it's not mommy that I and daddy are ready it. to fight it's not that i want to talk about it it's that phil said that people are crying on twitter his exact words that he typed out crying on twitter over blue red dollar bands like i've been fired up all day ready for this shit i was so angry when i read that in the show notes so phil thinks okay, that people so, wait 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 before you start yelling let me give some context the context is that 
literally within 24 hours of Modern Horizons 2 becoming legal on Magic Online, there was serious conversation on Legacy Twitter to ban cards out of Blue Red Delver. And I think Ragavan was the original target of this discussion. Is that accurate? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, I would yeah, agree with I, that. I mean, I think I curate my feed well enough that I didn't see much of this discourse because I'm just really not interested in it. Like, uh, the the first, you know, everything we just said about Modern Horizons 2 and how excited we are and how much fun we're having versus, like, we got a ban Ragavan on day one. Like, I was just not interested in that discourse, and I'm still mostly not. But uh, there were arguments, uh, like, it came up quickly. And, of course, it naturally turned to the... Uh, we can't just ban every one drop that gets printed. Ban Delver, hit the, cut the snake, the head off the snake, that, that or got, ban days at least. Can we, and can like, we pause that part because like that came later. That wasn't the first day, so I'd like to talk about it in sequence if that's okay. All right, sure, go nuts. Uh, I'm sure you're more aware of the sequence than I am, but that's the general gist. Now go nuts. All right, so day one was Ragavan, and I would agree with Phil that day one was too early. That said, there was four days before the showcase, or Thursday, Friday, Saturday, so three days, and then showcase was Sunday. All right, so I tested, I, I played 12 leagues before that Sunday event trying to prepare. And then I played the showcase on Sunday, and then the results were posted Monday. So the results of the showcase were half of the top eight was Blue Red Delver out of winning deck lists. So any deck list that went X2 or better, 42% was Blue Red Delver and was over 25% of the field. That is a dominating weekend for any one deck. And to rewind a little bit, before Modern Horizons 2, Blue Red Delver was 18% of the metagame according to MTG Goldfish. The watered-down data that we get from Goldfish because Wizards doesn't give us real data was 18%. The deck in second place was a combination of Grixis Control and Bug Control at 4%. So the best deck in Legacy, by a wide margin, got three tools to make it even better. Like, that's a pretty big deal. So I think, like, saying that people are crying on Twitter about how good Blue Red Delver is, I don't agree with at all. Because that deck is degenerate already, and it just got way better. Well, er everyone knows Blue Red Delver is degenerate. That's that's old news. And also, I, I would disagree with that. It's not degenerate. It's just a deck you can play. It's Delver and it's good. Delver's always good. Delver and Days are, they have a stranglehold on a lot of what Legacy is and Legacy's identity. And you have to have a plan for Delver Days if you're going to sign up for a Legacy tournament. All right, I have a question so, for you. Would you consider Adnosium Tendrils to be a degenerate deck? No, I think it's just a combo deck. Like I think that things that are degenerate get banned. Okay, well, Blura Delver has more free spells in it than Adnosium Tendrils does. Like, Delver is a degenerate deck. It plays unfair magic. Like, it doesn't have to play by the rules of the game. It plays threats. And Wait, then what that's format it. do you think you're playing right now? Did you sign up for a Pioneer tournament? You get free spells in Legacy. Get with the program. Like, what is the problem here? Uh, like, I, I, sure, like, maybe... I Like, I am on the camp that if you're going to da- ban something, if you must... It should probably be days, but, and I've said that on this cast before, I've said that in like Popper gives us historical context to fix Delver dominance by banning days in an eternal magic format. And I think that's a good place to start. And that's the most egregious of the free spells. Cause it's not a two for one and the decks that play it don't care about losing a land for what they gain. But like, if you're going to like talk about your like 
And and what? How are you defining free spell? By the way, because dark ritual is a free spell. Cabal ritual is a free spell. Right of flames a free spell. Are you talking about cost zero? Because there's a lot Th- of those free are spells not free spells in ad nauseum tendrils. Yes, they are. They they're better than free. They pay you to play them. Like so, uh, if we're gonna have this conversation, like you're just wrong on that. I, 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 uh, like, like, have you ever tried to cast dark ritual through Athalia? It is not free. Like, there's a difference between actual. Neither is force of will. It, it is technically like, a free spell by definition. You do not have to pay mana. That is what free means. Okay, uh, we are not even close to the same universe to have this conversation. But getting back to my point before I was interrupted with nonsense, the De- Blue Red Delver doing well in the showcase, which is a small tournament featuring the best legacy players who metagame for the best legacy player uh, metagame. Like, they know who's going to be in there. They know who's queued. They know who they are. They know what they might play. And playing something, a highly tuned Delver deck for the Delver Mirror, just makes sense in that thing. Also, the set's been out four days, like you said. It should make perfect sense that the deck that was already number one, that got three plug-and-play, here-you-go, new toys, still does well, while other people are still trying to figure out how to you know, work endurance into their mid-range deck or whatever. Like, each the idea of calling for bans three days after a set's been out with three tournaments worth of results, just chill the fuck out. Like, maybe it's degenerate. Maybe it's not okay. Maybe it is gonna be oppressive. But, like, that is a small metagame that people are metagaming for a Delver system with the best players like we just talked about like ragavan is what you want in the delver mirror and like sure like ragavan's gonna look broken if you're playing blue red delver mirrors all day but like put a supreme verdict in your deck fuck a ragavan like that's where i'm at like i've you can go through my videos they're all all the magic i've played is on camera i i think i'm like x and two versus blue red delver and i play against it two or three times a league and that's across the spread of all the decks that i've played i haven't played the same deck twice and i have a massively positive record against blue red Delver. all right i would like to talk because like, so you said that these are yeah, small yeah, go, events go there are 190 people have the best legacy players in them saying that it's a small metagame is disingenuous because like it's double the size of any challenge and people love challenge data like that is genuinely good data it is good players playing what they would play at a grand prix like that is peak legacy and saying that like oh well all my matches of legacy are being recorded brian we are friends i like you but you were posting like screenshots of you stopping blue red delver with like fairies or whatever the other day during a legacy challenge like like you can play awesome sweet decks and legacy but like you're like some of this is also happening when like a lot of the better players are playing in other events and i understand that sometimes like the challenge data people love that the Jarvis use of the world, Daniel Goschels, Rich Kelly's, they don't play in challenges. And people are talking about how like Blue Red Delver didn't do well this weekend. All the best players aren't playing in like a random Saturday challenge at seven in the morning. They play in the showcases because those have real value to them. Like just saying that these showcases don't matter because they happened four days after a format came out. That's just not true. Like that's the biggest opportunity we had to look at Modern Horizons and saying that it doesn't matter because it's a new set. 
the last three years, anytime something good has been printed, Blue Red Delver has been the culprit of why it gets banned, or Blue Red X Delver, because sometimes there's green in there. But that Delver shells the issue. We're seeing cards like Ren and Six get banned, Oko get banned, Dreadhorde get banned. It's plug and play at this point because the core is so strong. People are on Reddit are talking about expressive iteration, an uncommon out of a new set, because it's a glorified Night's Whisper in this deck that pushed Delver up to 18% of the metagame. Yeah, Delver is good. It's probably too good. We've had that conversation a thousand different ways on this podcast and everywhere else. Like the calling for Ragavan to get banned the day a set comes out versus I don't agree with that going that the Delver shell is not okay. And like if we're gonna like so like like I just said, like either put Supreme Verdict in your deck, understand that like, you know, playing decks that just lose to days like decks that have like trinisphere in them are probably not legacy playable anymore or we can you know have a real argument about whether it's delver days or both that should leave to actually break up this shell and uh, like the the problem here isn't that you know i'm stumping for delver i'm stumping for people shutting the fuck up and playing with the new cards and letting things settle down for at least a week this set is not even legal it is june 15th when we're recording this this set releases in paper on june 18th this set is not even legal in paper magic the pre-release just happened two days ago and there's already people firmly arguing for bans out of this set like urza saga in modern is broken like that is obvious it's on the table and i don't expect that card to be long for the world and i'm fine with that but I, I just think this my issue here is the issue with the people who use data just like as if a number is worth a ban. Like, oh, 40 percent of the metagame. Too good. Get rid of it. It's been four days. Like, we don't even like we just talked about now the deck space, like the Blue Red Delver got Dragon Raid Channeler, got Ragavan, got Murktide Regent. What 12 cards do you cut from the tight Blue Red Shelver deck to make room for all of those? Like, is there a metagame here where, like, the the low-cost Rag Delver decks will beat the high-cost Murktide Regent Delver decks? And, like, is there an internal Delver metagame that makes this interesting at all? Or do we not even care and we just want to ban Delver on, like, the first day of a new set? Like, I, I just want everyone to chill out and enjoy the new cards for a day and realize that, A, we're playing a niche format. B, the set's not even legal yet. Like, do you think Wizards of the Coast is, like even cares like about the opinion of like someone on twitter the day a set comes out like that just make that waters it down it's the boy who cried wolf for when we actually have a problem with the format like it took them forever to get rid of dreadhorde arcanus when that was obviously not okay and now we have like literally like preview day like the day a set drops we have like well let that format leaders that calling for bans is always just, calling for bans like I don't think anyone actually cares about what they like. I'm not arguing for them. I don't agree with day one ban Ragavan. Like we all agreed that Ragavan wasn't even the best card in the set. Like I'm not agreeing with that. I'm saying that there's an issue with the Delver shell and it seems like you agree for the most part. And I'm with you. I don't want to ban any card out of Modern Horizons too, but I think it's okay to acknowledge that there's something wrong with Legacy and that Delver's too fucking good. I mean, again, like that's coming from the perspective of someone who plays one deck that is frequently punished when delver is good and the last format where I delver am, was good is the best my deck has ever been i mean sure yeah i mean but like 
now they have Ragavan, which is a, a different card than Oko. And that's that's good against combo when Oko is bad against combo. And like I, I'm not saying that like your position is invalid. And also I am also biased and I recognize that because I play decks that just eat Delver alive. Like I've always played decks that you know, have Swords to Plowshares that have basic lands that have Supreme Verdict, and I just don't really lose to Delver at, under normal circumstances because that's how I build my decks. And this is the same conversation we had for the entire like duration of Oko's legality, where it's like, I think Oko's great. It's good in the decks I want. It doesn't really hurt the decks I want, and I love playing Blue Soup mid-range magic. But the Phils of the world, who just want to cast Trinisphere and Thalia, it couldn't play magic for the duration of that. And like all of those things have to be aggregated into what's actually good for the format and what the format's actually experiencing. And I don't think that can possibly be determined after four days, no matter what's going on. Well, I don't think it's the four days thing that matters, to be honest. Like even before Modern Horizons came out, it was pretty apparent that Delver's an issue, but no one was talking about it because there had just been a ban a month prior. And the fact that Delver got three new things is raised awareness for people. And I'm not trying to say ban Ragavan. That's not what I'm trying to do here. So Delver didn't get new things in that argument shell. Like Delver had got some new toys to plug into the shell, but the argument is that the shell is is busted. Like if people were talking about Blue Red Delver's dominance with Ethereal Forager before we had Merktide Regent, that's... The whole like Modern Horizons 2 catalyst is just not even important to the conversation. And I agree. It, it's just like a conversation that, I don't know, uh, this, this, I don't know where this lands, but it has nothing to do with Modern Horizons 2 or Ragavan, and I'm pretty confident about that. I just don't like the idea that saying that people who have an, who have an issue with the core of Delver are crying on Twitter, because like there's something wrong when year after year cards get banned because of the Delver shell being too good. Like we're all playing at a disadvantage. Yeah, I mean, you're you're like obviously pretty focused on the word crying and I don't agree with that assessment either. It is uh certainly I I I think that calling for anything on day 1 of a format is a little unreasonable, but I I don't agree that people who are concerned about the health of legacy are crying. Uh, but I mean there's somewhere in between where it's like you got to chill for like a couple weeks, like let tournaments happen. Like, like let's, let's figure out what this tournament, this format actually looks like before you start calling to ban Ragavan. Like, like that's, that's on your permanent record. Like you tweet that shit. Like people are going to pull that up. Like remember the time you wanted to ban Ragavan and that's going to like, like if you don't take time to consider your position and like a better argument is if Ragavan pushes us over the limit, we got to ban Days or Delver. Like, that's a real position to have, not, oh my god, ban Ragavan. Like, uh, just relax. Your point about Delver there, would you agree that there's a lot of amazing threats you can play in Delver right now? Yes. I don't think banning Delver I mean, actually yes. does anything, which is why on Twitter I said that you would have to Ooh. look at Days or Force of Negation. Um, because, like, right now, they've cut Sprite Dragon. They're, they've cut Ethereal Forger. They're They're so far past reasonable playables that it's insane like there's lists with just 12 one drops right now there's lists that have you know 10 one drops and then uh Tide regions like the threat base right now is just bananas pun intended like it is crazy well, yes i mean the thing i said a, a few minutes ago that 
uh, my opponent has turn one Dragon Rage Channeler. Takes me a few turns to sculpt an answer that I know is going to work, and I'm at 17 instead of 11. Like, that is a very different math problem. And I do think that hitting Delver, like, I think that they have a critical mass, an abundance of playable threats, but none of them are Delver. None of them are fucking close to Delver. Like, I would, I would rather play against the turn one. If I could, like, sign a pact with the devil that's just like, your opponent will always have turn one Ragavan, but they will never have Delver, I would sign it. And, like, I, I am fine living in a world where their threats are a little more reasonable. Like, we're going to talk about, like, Ragavan that, you know, gets blocked by Dryad Arbor. Like, gets blocked by anything, bricked by Thalia. Like, versus, you know, actual flying and three-point chunks. So, we want to talk about Dragon's Rage Channeler that takes time to grow. We want to talk about Hexdringer that takes time to grow. Uh, Sprite Dragon. Once, we, once we're talking about two drops, it's a totally different conversation. Because now we're... Now they... Your Swords of Plashers lines up favorably against Days because they had to cast a two drop instead of a one drop. Like Delver is head and shoulders above the next best thing, even though there are plenty of playable things. Though I just I said already that I think Days is a bigger problem than Delver, and I still think that's true. But I I, I don't think that there are other one drops you could play is an argument that Delver is not the problem. So I would like to say this: I've talked to Delver players over the last two weeks of. I guess it's eight days of playing Modern Horizons 2. Almost all of them agree that you'd rather start on Ragavan than Delver. Almost all of them. Like, it is a better turn one threat. Like, yeah, your Delver flipping for one extra damage on turn one is obviously nice, but, like, it's not guaranteed and you're not getting card advantage or the mana advantage. Like, turn two expressive iteration is dumb. Like, that's the sort of play patterns that it allows. And it's just, like... It's it's a smaller snowball than what we had during the Dread Horde Oko era, but it's still a it's something you can chuck. Like it's a, it's technically a snowball. Like that still exists. And the other thing I would like to point out here is that Phil threw a fucking grenade in the show notes and hasn't said a word. I didn't need to. Like Brian is just fucking yeah, doing honestly, all my work for me. I thought that I would be uh, like mediating you two, but like the the whole uh, Delver has more free spells than Ant thing set me the fuck it's off. True, and so yeah okay uh if you say so uh but so ragavan also is a legendary creature like sometimes delver just has two delvers and then you die in six point chunks ragavan the second one doesn't do anything uh like there's there's additional costs like delver just being flying wild nakadal is is an issue that i think makes it better than ragavan but i mean you're your secret Delver Cabal who says otherwise can think what they want. And they're setting up a different kind of game. Like the game where you flip Delver on one is the one where you push for 20. The game where you have Ragavan on one is the one where you cast expressive iteration and pull ahead over time and kill with a Merktide regent someday. Like they're, they're just different things and Delver could adjust. But I think the nonstop pummeling of Delver plus days, like that is, that's the recipe. But I mean, I'd like to. Uh, I've somehow been hooked there. into arguing, uh, arguing to ban Delver when I think that Days is actually the problem. So I'd like to add something there. You pointed out there's the game where they deal you twenty by turn four, and then the card advantage game. That's part of the problem. Why does Delver get to play both roles so fucking easily while having eleven free counter spells in their deck? Yeah, I agree. We, we've agreed firmly that that Days is a problem. Like, no counter argument from me there. But a, a two power creature on the ground 
versus a three power creature in the air is a totally different equation. Maybe not for a combo deck that can't interact with either, but for people who are like getting on board with like blocking, like uh, I posted a screenshot where I had uh, two, a Ragavan and two Dragon Rage channelers being bricked by a three, four Tarmogoyf. And like, that's the sort of magic, like every time a set comes out, it's like, oh God, Blue Red Delver's broken. Wait, we solved the, we solved it by going bigger up to Tarmogoyf. Wait, we solved it by going bigger up to mid range. Wait, we solved it by going back to blue red to beat the mid range. And that's like something resembling a healthy metagame, but it's a healthy metagame within like the sizes of Delver. Like it's not necessarily healthy for everyone else. Like they get got no matter what flavor of Delver you're on, but within like the the nuances of how to beat the Delver mirror, interesting things can happen. But I think legacy should be more than that. You keep on saying that it's like, combo players as if it's specifically me i am not the only one that is unhappy with the delver shell of legacy it's not just combo players and saying like oh well i beat people in leagues that's fine you're not running into rich kelly or jarvis or daniel goshel in leagues like those are people that play high stakes magic for money and value they're not just like playing a casual okay league. so how many how many times am i going to run into them in the in a gp uh, like in 15 rounds once like if i make top eight i'll meet them there like who is playing Legacy? Is it just Paulo Vitor Damodorosa that I'm going to run into at my FNM? Who are we arguing for right now? Like, if if there are like Delver gods who only show up when big money's on the line and only win and only with Delver, like, what does that mean for a person who just you know, records content or shows up to FNM? Like, All I'm trying to say here is there's a, very an little. obvious skill gap between like I beat this rando in a league and someone who's competent at playing Magic. Like, not that everyone in leagues is awful, because that's not the case either, but there's definitely, like, a big skill difference between people who play in different levels of Magic, and just going like, oh, well, I beat, like, this deck once, obviously it's not that good, isn't, like, that's not true. I like the part where Bryant keeps shitting on league play, and then uses league play to prepare for his big events. That's my favorite part. I don't think league play, I've said that in my entire history of, like, playing Magic, I don't think leagues are super valuable. Like, it's good for, like, collecting data about the metagame, but, like, it's it doesn't give you a real percentage of, like, how good your deck is against another deck unless your sample size is very large. So a league a league player is better than an FNM player, just yes, period. Sure. Like, on, on average, uh, like, 99 times out of 100, round one of your legacy FNM will be easier than any league at random on Magic Online. Because that person, like, they, I mean, I, I don't need to go into why. Like, we we understand, like, the dedication to the format. It's They're not just going to show up with the cards they own. Like, they're, they've queued into a league. They've spent money. They're aware of the metagame. They're on Magic Online. Like, and as far as value to an average player goes, or even an above average player, even someone else, like, if I had a Grand Prix tomorrow... I would be thinking about the same decks that I've been winning with in my leagues, whether you think that's good testing or not. And I'd probably put some more work into it. I'd find a friend. I'd, I'd talk to Jarvis. I'd get leagues in with or sessions in with him and like tune and like see how it actually feels against uh, a really good player. But to say like it's, I don't know. Like I, I think that the dis- complete dismissal of league play as valuable at all uh, I didn't say it has no value. I think saying that this deck isn't that good because I beat it in a league, like that's just not great. I mean, that's not what I'm saying. Like 
that's that's an extremely reductive version of what I'm saying. And what I'm actually saying is that having the legacy experience that I do and understanding how things move behind the curtain, like what is happening in a game that I win versus what is happening in a game that I don't win at the theoretical level, what kind of cards line up well against what Delver wants to do, what kind of strategies outmaneuver what Delver wants to do. Like there are lots of times where I'm doing something fundamentally different than legacy Twitter is doing in the same matchups. And I'm experiencing success with that because I, I found the pinpoint and I pulled it and playing leagues playing any magic just playing with your friend just getting a feel for like uh jamming that endurance on turn three to keep you off murktide regent but i got dazed versus waiting till turn four and having the endurance resolve but you might have murktide regent like those moments those only happen by getting the reps and you get the reps with the leagues like not everyone can just you know call up jarvis and test with him and i mean i could but i i still just that's not available to everyone and it's it's just not that important because your FNM opponent is not going to be Jarvis. Like just understanding fundamentally how legacy works and what Delver is trying to do. Like I just like one of my things, and I talk about this a lot on the channel is I just don't get dazed. Like I will take three. I will take five. I will take seven. I don't care. I'm going to hit that fourth land drop before I cast a three drop. And I just will not get dazed. And that's, like, unless I'm dead on board, obviously, I mean, you know, there are exceptions, but like the the type of person who's just like, plow your Delver on turn one because I'm scared of it, get days, now I don't have a removal spell. Like, that per, I, I, I don't know. Uh, so many thoughts are going through my head right now that the... Has this conversation ceased being helpful and we should move uh, on? I mean, I think so. Like, I think we agree that days is a problem and we disagree about what a degenerate or free spell means. And uh, like, I, I think that playing more magic is more useful than looking at spreadsheets and declaring that magic is okay or not okay. I play tons of magic and I'm not saying that like leagues are meaningless. I'm saying that you shouldn't assign too much value to them. That, like that was my main point. I kept on getting cut off and never got there, but that was my point. So, uh, like, for a format that we talked about two episodes ago, we get, like, uh, Eternal Weekend, SCG Con, and a Grand Prix or two, like, five premier events a year. What, what, where do you find value in your testing, if not putting cards on the table, whether it be leagues or FNM or, like, what, like, what is useful? Like, how can a how can our listener who is not Jarvis, who is not probably not going to win a Grand Prix, like, how can that person get any value out of playing Magic uh, if there's not a Grand Prix in their in their region this year? Like, the I feel like the gap between like, like I I just honestly don't understand the position at all that like, if it's not Jarvis or Daniel or Rich Cali, then it doesn't count. So I'm not saying it doesn't. Those are three people on. That the is earth. not what I said like, at it, all. Like, that is not what I said. So it's what I heard. There is a difference between playing against an inexperienced blue red Delver player that you're beating with like your casual fairy deck that you post to Twitter for like screenshots or whatever, and beating someone that is genuinely good at playing Delver. It doesn't have to be one of those three people, but there's skill gaps in Magic whether you want to admit it or not. Like you send me screenshots weekly of you beating Tes. It is the same thing, Brian. 
of like, yeah, you're probably going to beat the average TES player or a bad TES player with your meme deck, but I'd love you to hew into me with like your Nick Fit Brew or whatever. Like, there's a skill gap difference. Would you agree that exists in Legacy? I don't think anyone has ever argued that point, and I'm not sure why you're hitting it so hard. Because you just said, like, you're trying to make it seem like I think that there's only three good Delver players, when that wasn't my case at all. And obviously, the variance of your quality quality of opponent is one of the levels of variance that exists in Magic, and always will, and always has. I don't think anyone's doubting that. Like, Brainstorm is a skill-testing card. We all play Legacy. We know that. Uh, we... We'll probably never know exactly how any opponent in any match played the game. Like, if you win a game on turn nine that your opponent cast a turn three brainstorm in, they might have lost that game in that moment. And you'll never know that because based on the cards you saw by the end of the game, uh, you just it looks like you just beat them and there was nothing they could do. You outplayed them. But uh, there's tons of tiny decisions that we'll never see. But like, like I, we're making those decisions too. Like, you're still... Like everyone, like the assumption that the average league opponent is just like some some Bigfoot who just found a computer and logged into Magic Online is preposterous. Like Magic players in general are pretty smart. And if you're dedicated to the point where you have a Magic Online account and in a collection or a, a loan account and you're in these games, like maybe they're not Jarvis, but they're not, you know, like your dog either. And that play is valid. Right, I have something I'd like to say here. So there was something that happened about a year and a half ago, and that maybe two years ago at this point, they reduced the cost level into leagues. It went from 12 tickets down to 10, and then they changed the prize payout so that 3-2 got money because they wanted a more casual feel. What happened at this point is it made it a lot more free for people to start playing their meme decks in leagues. Like, you just saw the level of competition change quite a bit and a lot of the people that were spikes quit playing in leagues and went to prelims and so now when i queue into leagues and i lose against quarrel stompy or whatever phil streamed with the previous stream that data isn't as good to me when i'm losing to something that i am not likely to face when i'm trying to top eight a challenge or top eight a showcase while it's super sweet that i lost to squirrels with a challenge of the void in play that's not good data to me like because leagues are a lot more casual now, it's tougher to get meaningful data out of them when I'm trying to spike big events. So you ask me what I care about. I care about winning medium to large events, and that's my goal in Magic. But when I pair into leagues and people are just playing their meme decks, sometimes it's frustrating because like that's not useful to me in any sort of way. And I understand Legacy is a huge format where people can play whatever they want, but when I'm only trying to win large events, that stuff isn't helpful. Until you get paired against Mud in fucking round 10 of an SCG Open. <laughs> and then it's real nice to have that experience. Yeah, I, I, I agree that if you are looking to get specific testing against the winner's metagame, or the expected winner's metagame, that uh, playing against Squirrel Sumpy is not useful. But constantly in my videos, whether I'm playing a meme deck or not, maybe I'm playing just Rug Delver, and I see an opponent do something weird, like something that doesn't make any sense, like what is in this deck? And then the muscles to like, okay, why would they do this? Why would this card be in their deck? Oh, they probably have this, this, this. I should prioritize this, this. And like those muscles matter. That's just good Magic the Gathering fundamentals, and it's fundamental understanding of legacy 
versus just, you know, will the the thought season the sideboard be better than the uh, extract in in like round 10 of the Grand Prix? Like you you should be on a discord call with Jarvis testing that match heads up over and over jamming games if you want that repetition. But if you just want to play legacy and understand what people might bring and what the card pool can offer, then leagues are just fine. Okay, we're moving on. We have an actual like. I would just set like to make to one more note. This episode, one more note. Phil no, put no, crying in the show no. notes. We talked about how we were going to have this big thing. He said one thing during that entire conversation. It was a small dig at me, and then nothing else. Didn't need to like Brian straight up. Yeah, I was not expecting to, to for that to go how it did. Well, we're an hour and twenty five minutes into the podcast now, so we can uh. The, we should change the title to uh, "Should We Ban Days?" and "Is League Play Valuable?" So, all right, uh, Phil, bring us in. So the next, yeah. So the like meat of this episode was supposed to be like legacy decks to have on your radar. You know what? What's the the next big thing? Um, and so we're gonna go through a couple of things that like if you're a legacy player, you should be aware of how these decks work and what's in them. And the first is a deck that we've already alluded to a little bit, and that's the Bant Control deck that's running around. And it's really weird to have a week one control deck being so central to the format and being so good. Um, Brian, like, do you kind of want to comment on that a little bit? Uh, yeah, I mean, Bant uh, is... It's always had the tools, and I mean, Uro hasn't gone anywhere. Uro was in the conversation with Oko and Dread Horde Arcanist for cards that could get banned out of Legacy, and Watsi decided it's fine for now, and that it has been my experience that that's the right call, but it is still one of the most powerful things you can do. Uh, there's always going to be a king. You scrape off the top layer, something's waiting underneath. So, yeah, uh, Uro will always be here, and like I said, like what came up in that uh multiple times in that that previous conversation like hitting extra land drops having basic lands having one mana removal having supreme verdict or terminus like those are all great things to be doing in both an unknown metagame and in a delver metagame so it's not a surprise to me at all that bant showed up early the deck also puts really weird pressure so like let's say you're playing a deck that has a pair of two twos into play can you attack into three mana? Like, can you attack into that three, four endurance or into Ice Fang Kawaddle? Are you winning the game where you're not attacking and you're trying to like wait until you have a removal spell to attack? Um, the, the deck is really scary to play against and the three, four size of endurance just eats so much of Legacy's aggressive threat brace and lives to tell the tale. Yeah, in between rounds of the challenge this weekend, I was clicking through streams more than once, I saw an opponent not attack into just an empty board for control because they were afraid of those flash threats. Yeah, it's it's like lose the game level of bad when your opponent's just cast an endurance and like you lose, like let's say you have, I don't know, a, a meddling mage on a removal spell or something like that. That's like somewhat important to your game plan. If you just lose that card, it's, it's not just like losing two damage. Like... Now your opponent has become the aggressor. You've unlocked other of their spells. Like it's it's disaster level a lot of times uh, to attack in the mana. Like I am not excited to be playing a deck like Death and Taxes currently, where like all my creatures die to endurance. 
yeah shark typhoon uh was like the king of doing that like that's the reason that the the various shark piles i brewed over the last uh year and a half two years are even playable like a flash threat that messes with combat is just not something that legacy is used to dealing with like there's always been or at least uh for the recent era snapcaster mage has existed ice fang quaddle's been around for two years now but something beefy like something that could eat thalia in combat like that sort of level uh there hasn't been much and uh with shark typhoon plus endurance now like attacking into four or five mana it just as some creature deck is dangerous for those of us that have been around for a while, it has very similar play patterns to Restoration Angel and Standard. Oh yeah, that's a great mm-hmm. comparison. Yeah, during I remember during uh, that Standard format, uh, I think Restoration Angel and Collected Company overlapped a little bit in Standard, and I remember watching SCG coverage where basically every turn four of every game for the entire tournament. Uh, Patrick or Cedric would make the joke like, oh, they didn't have a play on turn four. That's so unlucky. They just passed the turn. And like, obviously it's Collected Company or it's Restoration Angel or it could be either one, whichever one's going to do better here. And uh, it is very much like playing against those cards. So I'd like to talk about, uh, since we're on the topic of control decks, how good Prismatic Ending is. Uh, So here on this podcast, I'm pretty sure Phil and I have sang the praise of Carpet of Flowers the last year and a half. That's changed quite a bit. Um, Carpet of Flowers is not as good against the control decks anymore due to Prismatic Ending. They have a clean, on-curve answer to Carpet, uh, and it's changed the dynamic quite a bit. At least for me, the last few weeks I've been trying no Carpets because of that. Because If the card's only good against Delver, is that worth playing? Because the extra copies aren't as good against control. Like Right now I'm playing two, but I'm not even sure how good they are. <sighs> Prismatic Ending is just a beating. And it, like, one of the things that's, like, quietly so good about it is Prismatic Ending is the card in your deck that just fucking thrashes meme decks. When your your deck is built around something that just puts, like, a weird enchantment into play or something that's, like, normally a little bit sticky, Prismatic Ending is just like, oh, three mana, it's gone. And, like, it, it is so good at dealing against the decks that you might come up in, like, say rounds one through three of a paper event or something like that where like you might not be metagamed to fight against them but like this card just checks all the boxes you need it to check in a way that's also just good in the early turns unlike something like council's judgment well so there used to be this like flex spot and i've played a lot of miracles in my life where it would be like council's judgment uh unexpectedly absent sometimes in really aggro heavy metagames extra copies of path to exile or engineer explosives this card is just so much better than all of those alternatives, like, at once. Like, yes, uh, in theory, Council's Judgment answers True Name and Nemesis. But let me ask you the question, guys. When was the last time you saw a True Name? Like, it's not a popular card anymore. And Prismatic Ending, just being on curve, is phenomenal. It's It's been months since I've seen a True Name, I think. Um, on the topic of EE, though, that card is also seeing play because it's really good against the busted Delver multiple creature starts, and also just, like, is an absolute house versus affinity, just clearing off uh, multiple Urza Saga constructs and Mox Opals. Yeah, the Delver leaning into the one-drops, like, if they are on the full 12 with uh, Channeler, Ragavan, and Delver, 
cards like ee have just gone way up in stock like uh, the the when Delver has become like truly oppressive to be ban worthy in the past, uh, or has that has actually gotten a ban, we've just discussed at length whether it's ban worthy now or not. But the 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 hallmarks of those things are like they have Deathrite Shaman or into Gurmag Angler with Young Pyromancer in between, or they have delver and hex drinker into ren and six up into oko up into hooting mandrels and true name nemesis and they just have things different types of threats at all different mana costs that require different answers and playing 12 things that all just get clipped by engineered explosives or swords to plowshares or abrupt decay or prismatic ending like that is a real deck building cost to just overload with like they overload those you can overload answers and uh, just taking the side juke onto like an Uro or a, a Clothis or that kind of thing. Uh, that That is a feature of what Delver is capable of. And these hyper one drop things, uh, that comes at a cost. One uh, final note about the Bant control deck. I have not seen a single copy of Solitude seeing play. And I'm, I'm like kind of bummed about it because that's a card I thought was going to be really sweet in these decks. I I just don't know where to find the room for it in various decks like some people have been messing around with solitude in things like death and taxes as kind of a thing you can recruiter for and remove stuff but the bant list just feels so tight i don't know that you actually need it like they're good on removal solitude doesn't make sense in those shells at all um Solitude is for fair creature matchups, which you're already good against, and you're trying to board out your forces in those matchups because basically there's not a single card in those matchups that's worth a two for one. So if you're not gonna, if you don't want two for ones and you're never gonna pitch for Solitude, then your plan is to cast a five drop against the potential Days deck, the potential Wasteland deck. Like it just doesn't fit the plan at all. And these decks already have. Plow, they might have Abrupt Decay, Pyroblast, uh, Plague Engineer. Plus, they, they have... Uh, I mean, I'm talking about blue decks in general that could play Solitude at this point, not just Bant. Obviously, those don't have red or black cards. But just that strategy in general, it just doesn't matter. And Uro is, along the way, gaining so much life that you really don't need to two-for-one yourself ever to recoup a single hit from a creature. So it just doesn't fit, and I don't think it ever will. Solitude's also just so much worse versus combo decks than Endurance is. Like, end of your turn, I'll flash in Endurance and start hitting you for three, and I held up Hardcast Force of Negation for your turn. Like, that's so much of a better play pattern than I'll tap out for five on turn five and make a three-two. Wait, does Solitude not have flash? It does. Yeah, Solitude has flash. It has flash and lifelink. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, I just wanted to make sure. I thought I might have been missing something that was off. Yeah, I mean... No, um, I don't know the text of the card very well because I've literally never played it. I tried it in one of my irrelevant meme leagues, and it was, like, not very good. Uh, It came in, like, once, and uh, it was in, like, a Death and Taxes-style mirror where I knew the game would go thousands of turns, and I actually, it ended up becoming the right play to put Vial on five at one point, and that's just not going to happen in a normal game of Magic. So, uh, no, Solitude is not really going to be seen at the the gp tables 
All right, so I think the next deck to maybe have on your radar is Affinity, and we've kind of established its position already as this, like, dredge-level deck where, you know, if the hate is in the right place, it's very good. Um, let's let's talk about this Urza Saga card a bit more. Let's, uh, let's dig in. Um, the Constructs, they get big, and they get big quickly, putting them outside of Lightning Bolt range, and that's the primary removal in Blue-Red Delver, is Lightning Bolt and Lightning Bolt-sized removals. Uh, sometimes you see some Fork Bolts, sometimes you see some Chain Lightnings, um, but you're seeing fewer copies of things like Brazen Borrower now that just would bounce these large threats, and that means, like, once you're past a 3-3, you are golden. Yeah, uh, being an X4 is, is just so big. Um, the like I don't know how deep we need to go on this because we went after the card pretty hard last week. Uh, but the the tutor at the end I found in in just like brewing random decks is kind of the weirdest part because like you can't just play like if the deck doesn't build itself like affinity where you're just gonna have mox opals and asper sentinels and just thousands of things to tutor up whatever you want. Uh, like if you if Urza Saga cranking out constructs makes sense in a deck, but tutoring for zeros and ones doesn't, like in this in the case of like a prison deck, uh the the tutor package gets like pretty interesting because you can't just play one thing because then if you draw it your tutor's a brick, but you don't want to play too many because you don't actually want that card in your deck unless you're tutoring for it. Uh so I've had fun trying to figure out like the minimum tutor package to make Urza Saga worth it to play, and you. I don't think you can play it just for the constructs. Uh, quick side note, Brian, you cannot get Asper Sentinel with it, and it, it actually has to be confirmed. Oh, in a yeah, cost yeah, of one yeah. Well, sure. Uh, yeah. So, uh, like, uh, Springleaf Drum or uh, Retrofitter Retrofit Foundry, Foundry. Yeah, uh, Ornithopter. Yeah, that's right. It has to be exactly one or zero. Uh, so I played some Vintage, and in Vintage, because I honestly I don't think we're going to get a lengthy discussion of that section three. Uh, but people are playing main deck needle to get with their Urza Saga, so that way they're following Urza Saga's needle twice as much damage without the fear of wasteland. That's something that these decks could hypothetically look at in Legacy if they're all in on Urza Saga, just crushing the blue decks. I don't hate it. Like a one of main deck needle is not the worst thing that you can play in Legacy. There's plenty of targets. It makes a lot of sense. But I think maybe you guys will disagree with me here. A lot of the people that were really excited about Affinity were over the moon for Thought Monitor, and I feel like that's a card that's actually underperformed in the last two weeks. Are you insane? I'd like... Sorry, I've played with multiple uh, Thought Monitor decks, and that card is stupid. Uh, it, it didn't like, win the showcase. It, it, uh, that's what he means. Uh, I'm not trying to be petty, but, like, I mean, in, like, real events, uh, like, like actual, like, big events, uh, like... Uh, my experience putting Thought Monitor on the stack it it won a challenge. Yeah, it won the day like... the, the day one challenge, right? And then we talked about this already, where like, uh, a fit, like Saga decks were big the first weekend, and then they were basically gone the second weekend because like people adjusted with their meltdowns and stuff. Uh, like I agree. Like I think that card actually overperformed. I barely even looked at it on the spoiler, and I threw it in my Steel Stompy Brew just, just like oh what the hell? Like I'll probably be able to cast it once in a while. But it's like always a one drop. It's always a two two. It always draws two, and uh, that's been my experience across a couple different legacy and one modern deck that I've tried it in. Uh, I I don't know, like I think if this archetype hangs in legacy, thought monitor will be an important piece of the puzzle. It's just whether the archetype is going to hang or not. 
Uh, but I do think Thought Monitor is going to be a piece of it if it sticks around. Yeah, Thought Monitor has been insane in my testing. Um, I, I played, uh, I think, Legacy Modern and Vintage with it. Uh, I've been impressed in all three formats. Um, I'm actually less impressed with the white cards in the shell. Esper Sentinel is really weird because it's not a good threat and it's inconsistent card draw and the tax can be ignored when your opponent needs to ignore it and it doesn't get fetched by Urza's Saga but at the same time there's some games where like you put a plus one plus one counter on it or like you equip a nettle cyst or a cranial plating to it and all of a sudden it's huge and the tax is like three mana and then it keeps fueling you cards um, that's been a card that I've really been having trouble evaluating in the shell. Uh, Phil, question for you. Your video that went bananas, that was mono blue, correct? Uh, blue, white. I think that one had Esper Sentinels and Aetherstorm Canonists. Okay, because the blue white build is the one that's like been fairly popular. And in my experience, I've only faced that three times, but uh, the mana has been really bad for them. There's been games where they can't get white mana or games where they can't get blue mana, games where they have too many colorless or like they don't open on an ancient tomb and so they have their white land to start. So it's been a little bit weird. Um, I, I agree with that. I, like if, if I were going to be like, you know, serious affinity stan and be testing the deck, I would be trying to drop the white from it and play as close to a colorless with blue deck as I can. Because like your thought cast and your thought monitors are giving you the end game. And most of the time, it's your colorless cards that are killing people. It's your Urza Saga's constructs. It's your Nettle Cysts that are just, like, doing the brunt of the damage. And I don't know. I, I don't think... I think the white cards are the weakest part of the show. I agree, too. I, I played a league with that deck, and I played it against against it a few times. And uh, the mana's bad. It's essentially a, a three-color deck, um, like, with the Ancient Tombs plus the 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 blue and the white and you want white on turn one but you also want ancient tomb on turn one and urza saga doesn't tap for any color and urza saga doesn't turn on your mox opal and there were a lot of pro urza saga doesn't cast a, a sentinel on right. turn one either yeah, which is just, huge. all of these are fundamental problems with that list like comparing that like uh that list with at least some tournament pedigree versus my like ridiculous uh mystic forge combo blue stompy deck i actually think the the blue stompy deck was a better constructed deck somehow even though like i think the archetype is worse but if you just plug your affinity plan into that blue stompy lesson system like i, I think you're gonna do better like like phil said it, it should be a blue deck um one one other note on urza saga i think because the mana is kind of bad in these decks so often um, I ended up at least tutoring for uh, just a Mox Opal to replace the mana that I was losing and act as color fixing. Um, and in Vintage, I often just needed more mana, and I found myself going for Soul Ring quite a bit to just like make sure I had enough mana to continue doing my stuff after the Urza Saga yeah. left. Since we're on Vintage, and I'm sure Brian will agree with me on this, maybe he won't, but a lot of the POS are playing 15 lands so they can play three sagas and it drives me nuts. I don't want to play 15 lands in my vintage combo deck, but like the fact that it goes away, uh, I don't know. Like it just, it seems like too many to me. Yeah. I haven't looked at vintage PO, but I, I do think that Urza saga is brilliant technology for the archetype. 
in being able to just juke Xerox uh, in game one off of something that you can actually use if you're comboing, like, because it does just tap. Like, I, I do think that technology is cool, but it obviously makes Bolas' Citadel a lot worse if you just have three or four extra lands in your deck. So there's some give and take there. Uh, but I, I definitely agree with Phil's assessment that you usually end up just tutoring a mana source if you have one. Uh, my first experience with Urza Saga was Modern Affinity, and I tutored up Springleaf Drum almost every time. Like, I had this whole package of, like, like it was it was day one. I, I was trying everything. I had, like, a Hex Parasite, the Ozolith, like, just all sorts of sweet one-drops of Pithing Needle, and I got, and just got Springleaf Drum almost every time because the cost of losing a land on chapter three is significant and you need to make that up somewhere on the vintage note um i played against that like urza saga po list and i thought i was playing against some sort of affinity deck until about turn three or four when i got comboed off and died uh so the ability to disguise yourself as like some urza saga artifact deck is like very yeah, real it's a thin disguise too like like I said, I haven't played much Vintage. I haven't seen this list, but the one of you mentioned it in our, our Facebook chat the other day, and it instantly made sense because PO is a deck that frequently just has like two to five artifacts laying around. And if your land can just turn that into uh, 14 power, that's pretty messed up. So uh, is, especially like while your opponent's holding up Flusterstorms and Pyroblasts, just making that pivot is hot. All right, so the next deck on the list is Blue Red Delver. I think we might have yeah, we this covered one over that. the head, and we can perhaps uh, skip that. So Green White Depths, a deck that uh, did really well in, I think, two challenges in the last two weeks, um, got a new addition in Yabamaya Cradle of Growth. It now has a green Urborg, so Dark Depths taps for mana in that deck as well, and it really puts it ahead. Uh, Phil put in the notes that it allows crop rotation, or I'm sorry, Night of the Reliquary, to crop rotation for anything i saw that happen uh where they got rid of a land they normally couldn't get rid of and i was like that's kind of annoying um so oh it's it's, it's super relevant uh, it comes up with some like some of your lands like dark depths being legendary and when you have two of them in hand you just like rotate one away or you get to rotate away the colorless producing lands and like go get your white source or something um like it it's better urborg but it's better by so much because of Night of the Reliquary. Yeah, uh, it came up in my Patreon Discord uh, after I posted my Dress Down uh, Simic Stifleknot deck uh, that putting Yabamaya in that deck gives you Submerge just against all decks because like blue-green doesn't have removal, but if you have Yabamaya, then Submerge is turned on against anyone, which I think thought was like pretty insane. I mean, it's not as good as like Night of the Reliquary getting rid of your extra Dark Depths, but... like. I hadn't even thought of just, you know, submerge as a game one removal spell. Yeah, there's some other cute things it does. Like, you don't have to fetch to cast your green spells. Like, you don't have to take that point of life loss when it's relevant because you have Yavamaya. Um, and if the Yavamaya gets wastelanded, like, your fetch land isn't getting wastelanded in instead. So, like, it's not that big of a deal to do that. And the deck also gets to play Endurance. And uh, as we're probably uh, hitting real hard here, that card is sweet. Yep. And uh, the second place in the last challenge had a one of Urza Saga. We mentioned that last week as just basically any deck with a Knight of the Reliquary in it can play an Urza Saga. Any deck with a Golos in it can play an Urza Saga. Any deck with a Crop Rotation can play Saga. Any deck with Loam. Like, uh, we're going to see people 
I, I don't know if that's going to be good, uh, but it, it people are going to be doing it. If you can tutor up a saga, people are going to try for a little while. All right. So I'm sure the two of you saw this, and I know it's not in the show notes, but uh, Sam Black tweeted out, as to his knowledge, so as someone who worked on the set, Urza Saga had zero playtesting. It was just a theorycraft card. A lot of uh, the main Magic subreddit was very angry about this. I actually, I'm fine with it. Like, obviously, I would like if Wizards tested all their cards. But for a card that wasn't playtested, I think this one's, a, like, it's great. Um, I love the design of this card. It's fine by legacy standards. Yeah. I, Probably a little too good for modern, but. Yeah, I, I've said this, uh, I think, on this cast and in other venues before. Like, I, I am perfectly comfortable with using ban list to control nonsense like i would prefer like when companion was spoiled and everyone lost their mind and it did end up needing to be errated but uh mark rosewater posed the the hypothetical question of uh would you rather us never push or occasionally push too hard in card design and i am firmly on push too hard sometimes try new stuff use the ban list to sort it out uh, there was a time in magic's history where banning cards was just like absolutely sacred like we it's we just don't do it it's a sign of things are bad and it, it's just like there was like the uh, the ravager affinity deck then nothing until jace and stoneforge mystic and then nothing until like uh rampaging ferocidon lol by the way uh, but then it's just like several cards a year since then and i think that the 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 charm of the ban list like the the sanctity of the ban list has been lifted and it's just a tool use it like i i don't mind like if this card is cool in legacy but too good in modern and vintage get rid of it in modern and vintage Let, let's play in legacy or like move the numbers around like underworld breach like too good for pioneer too good for legacy fine and modern and vintage like it's cool that a card exists that can split the uprights like that and uh dance around eternal formats without breaking all of them and i think urza saga is one of them i i played modern and i was like wait hold on what what cards are still legal in this format like there's multiple cards that are banned in legacy that like somehow are just totally fine in the modern yeah. environment yeah they're running six without wasteland who would have yeah, known they, they still have running six over there L- Luris is still there yeah uh yep <laughs> a breach you can you can still breach people if you want to but it turns out it's just not that good there but yeah all right so quick hit sort of like one sentence things for a couple other things that uh we we saw in the last week um cloud post won was it the showcase or the challenge what what did cloud post win i don't know all right cloud post won something and it had 4x carpet of flowers in the sideboard and (laughs) that was just like i know what i'm here to beat and i totally respect that i thought the Ragavan Schneekin show list was very interesting. Uh, it had four Ragavans main deck, so it's a way to accelerate into a turn two show and tell while also just being something annoying that your opponent has to deal with. It's weird that it's in the main deck. They're tra- they're finally embracing what they are. Set me straight or agree with me on this, but it's weird that it's in the main deck, right? Like, yeah. At, like virtual card advantage as a combo deck, like blanking removal is like kind of the point. Yep. Uh, I I guess like. If you're on, like, the mono dash plan, like, if you're never going to cast Ragavan for one red, if you're just, like, surgically picking spots to clip in, generate a mana, and, like, maybe steal a cantrip or whatever, like, 
I don't know, maybe, but still, like, that feels like a sideboard card to me. So JPA played two in his sideboard this weekend, and it reminds me a lot of what Ant was doing with Xanad Swarm. Because as the control deck, you're asking yourself, am I really supposed to leave in removal for this creature? How likely are they even going to draw it? So if they do leave in their removal, you gain that virtual card advantage that Brian was just talking about. And if you don't don't bring it in at all and they still leave in something, even better. Um, but if you just open hand your creature in game one when they're sitting with four swords to plowshares, like you feel real dumb. Yeah, uh, I'll take that. <laughs> and like short of like that nut draw Phil described of like ramp into turn two show and tell or like turn three with Lusterstorm back up, like okay i i was probably losing that game to show and tell anyway like if i don't have a force of will like i i don't know that just feels like so irrelevant in the main deck at least i think it is a super cool option in the sideboard though and it's officially an ape deck yeah well ragavan's a monkey and spirit guide's an ape so they don't even have the same creature type you can't cavern and get them both it's a it's a huge beating they'll they'll fix it at some point aren't like dogs and hounds the same now uh, dogs and hounds are currently the same, but monkeys and apes are just literally different things. Uh, like hound is just a different word for dog. It, uh, there's like biological differences. Like I think uh, the the size of the tail is like a, an indicator whether something is a monkey or an ape. Like gorillas and chimps and uh, orangutans and, and humans don't have like big long tails, but every type of monkey does. I don't know. Uh, biologists who are listening, please fire off. Yell at me on Twitter for... Yeah, I don't know this is way is. more important than the discussion we had earlier we want the facts yes uh, i need to know what the uh zoological definition of a monkey versus ape is though speaking of creature types though real quick aside ragavan is also a pirate and so is hall breacher also earlier today i played a plague engineer and named rogue because i had seen true name nemesis earlier and to answer your question, I saw a trade nemesis earlier today, but it was league play, so it doesn't count. But I played a, I played a, so I I played the trade nemesis or the, the engineer, and I was like, okay, they're not going to have another merfolk, but brazen borrower is a rogue, so I'm going to name rogue, and then they got me with a hall breacher, which is totally a merfolk, and I I had the second engineer. If I just double merfolked, they would have had no creatures, but they ended up being able to sort of outmaneuver my creature types i got too clever so hall breacher overlaps with true name nemesis on one level and ragavan on another so be careful with your your plague engineers out there it's worth noting engineer is a card that like was one of the most like uh, it was up there with delver in terms of like the amount played to a card over the last year that's just slowly trickled down to you know it's still a top 10 creature but it used to be like number two or three yeah i i love that creature and i think it is too good i like you either i think you got to make it symmetrical or remove death touch or make it a one one. i don't know like do something to it but i think it is a little too good as printed but uh talking about like going back to the endurance conversation just like a reasonable body that does multiple things like that's it's a blue blue wizard dream i love that card so phil has on the list here the madness style decks they are so cool i've seen a number of nut draws out of that deck and it's just lion's eye diamond like i just love it just like discard my hand discard two venge vines of madness in these creatures swing with angie's ran whatever angie's ravager is it ravager okay like it's so awesome it's the ultimate twitter clout deck i think like if you want to farm for screenshots of ridiculous shit i think this madness deck is it 
Um, I I got my face just absolutely destroyed and curb stomped by the Underworld cookbook the other day. That was something I wasn't expecting. They're certainly not the madness decks of Roland Chang's era, I'll say that. That's for sure. Uh, the Roland's uh, screenshots are also clout-worthy. Uh, Roland, if you don't follow him, he he uh, Japanese foils everything, and he plays a lot of uh, like vintage legacy and pre-modern. And I don't know if you've looked at pre-modern Japanese foils, but God, they are gorgeous. Because they're all old border, obviously. And just like looking at the uh, the wild mongrels and the, the aquamibas and basking rootwallas. And his screenshots are NSFW. All right. So we're kind of getting to the tail end of the podcast here. We had this section in mind for sort of impacts of these cards in other formats. Do we want to quickly highlight anything here? I think we did it all. Like we 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 had a bullet about uh, Saga in modern, where it's obviously Busto and doing all sorts of stupid stuff. Uh, we we hit vintage with some stuff. Like uh, I think we're good. <laughs> uh, we this ended up a lot thicker, a lot more robust than expected. Uh, yeah, we hit everything else. I think we're good. All right. So uh, overall sort of like pers- personal thought how how is legacy doing right now why don't why don't we close with that how how has your experience been in the last two weeks bryant and i are just sort of like both staring at the camera right now waiting for the other to blink uh i have been having a blast though i don't fault anyone who thinks that delver is too good because it is i've been enjoying playing other formats more i've been recording two leagues of legacy a day and having the time of my life like I am, I am just loving testing these these new cards. Yeah, I I wish I didn't need to eat or sleep because I it you would think that just recording as much as I have been would be tiresome or feel like hard work, like or like just in any way become tedious, and it's just not. Every list is a exciting new chance to try something crazy, and this set has been a huge hit for me. And before we sign off, I would like to say, Bryant, I respect you dearly as both a coworker <laughs> a. Hey, we, we've done a lot of great work together, and this conversation got a little. Uh, I have no hard feelings. Were raised, I'm, yeah, like, uh, and I want the the viewers to know that too. Like, I know Bryant knows that. Like, uh, don't don't be confused. Like, this is this is good spirited debate between. Uh, I I think it's safe to say two experts in the field who just disagree on certain things about the field, and I I think it's reasonable, and uh, all his points are valid, and so is he as a human being, and. I'm excited to continue working with you. <laughs> so no, nobody think that that was a, a real fight or anything. And to answer Phil's actual question, I think Legacy's fine. Like, I do agree that we need to let, like, some time go before actually pulling the trigger on anything. But I do think sooner rather than leg- sooner rather than later in Legacy's future, we need to see a change. Uh, like, I still love playing Legacy. I'm having the time of my life playing Strike It Rich and Galvanic Relay and AV. But, like, I know that I'm playing at a disadvantage, and knowing that doesn't feel good. Like, I'm enjoying what I'm doing, but, like, just knowing that I'm behind before I even start doesn't feel as good as it could. All right. Well, why don't we call that a wrap for the episode, then? Uh, Remember, if you're interested in our little charity giveaway contest thing, uh, head to the Eternal Glory podcast. Wait, shit. What's our website actually called? TheEternalGloryPodcast.com. All right. TheEternalGloryPodcast.com. I I hesitated. And and hesitation. (laughs) It's a form of weakness. Um, and go ahead and uh, check out the form there, listen to some intros, try to identify some uh, great voices in the magic community in our intros. And remember, 
as always, don't forget to play your null rods. What the fuck, Phil? Thank you.